0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. My name is John Alexander, and I'm here with my co-host, Don Graffham. How are you doing, Don? I'm doing great. How are you doing, John? I'm feeling good. good. feeling really good. And I'm excited to be back for episode four here. We've got something fun planned today that we're really excited to share with you, our listeners. And I got to tell you, by the time you'll be listening to this, this is crazy to say, mm-hmm. but our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, will have retired on March 1st, 2020. And he led Eagle Brook Church for 28 years, arriving first in 1991 to what was then called First Baptist Church of White Bear Lake. And now Eagle Brook is a church with nine locations and 25,000 people. And it's surreal to say that he has finally retired. Mm -hmm. Now, there's so many things that you and I both could say about Bob and his time here at Eagle Brook, but what we wanted to do instead was invite you into a conversation that Don and Bob had at Bob's final all-staff meeting as the senior pastor. It was a great conversation that we had with our staff, and we want to share it with you, our podcast listeners. So Don, why don't you tee this up just a little bit?
1: Yeah, what an honor to be a part of that last staff meeting with Bob. And really, this was your idea. I'll just give you the credit because I, I wrote down 10 different leadership lessons I learned from Bob, and it was really honestly, just a personal thing going on with me of how I'm processing my emotions of saying goodbye to our, our pastor, leader, mentor, and friend. And so the way I did that was to write out different things I've learned. I compiled down to 10 things. Uh, you uh, you learned about that. You said, you should share that with the staff. I agreed to that. And then as we got closer, you said, well, maybe we bring Bob up and he can interact with the lessons as we go through it. So that's what happened at his last all-staff meeting. And today we're going to listen to that and now keep in mind, he didn't know what he was going to hear. And so some of it, he just was kind of figuring out how to respond to it. But it really was a fascinating conversation. I was so honored to be a part of it. And I'm excited to share it with podcast listeners now. And so we're going to dive into that topic. And then we'll come out of that at the end and talk a little bit about what we learned and then maybe add some, some, uh, some lessons to it at the end as well. So are we ready to dive in? Yeah, we're ready. Okay. Let's go. Here we go. So please welcome your senior pastor for the next 18 days, Bob Merritt. Here he comes. I, I thought we were going to have chairs, but... I- oh, Bjorn's coming. Okay, great, great. <laughs> it's like we planned it. Yeah. Just like we did in rehearsal. Well, Bob, maybe while he's getting ready, I do have a warm-up question okay. for you. This is surreal. What? This is surreal, yeah, is. just being here. Yeah. but
2: Yeah, hey, before you go do that, I, I've yeah. never actually been in a situation like this yeah. where um, just hearing what people say, and it's just truly... Um, humbling to me. Grateful. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've never had to sit there and listen to that. Yeah. Does it feel like your your funeral by any Well, (laughs) no, not really. But there's a little bit of
1: touch of that, isn't there? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all amazing. Is this yours or mine? Uh, Well, it's mine, but help yourself. (laughs) Go ahead. What am I going to say? I I don't know.
2: Can someone grab? uh, Thanks, Bjorn.
1: (laughs) Yeah, go for it. Okay, Bob. Well, uh, as you know, or maybe you do or don't know, that I feel a total privilege to have had a front row seat to watching you lead. And I just have had, we've had a lot of incredible moments together. We've had tough moments together. But all in all, one of the ways that I've just uh, processed saying goodbye is to just write down these leadership lessons. And you've heard one or two of these, you haven't heard most of them. So here's how it works is I have a leadership title, plenty of water now, a leadership title, and then there's like a story or an example, and then there's like a leadership point that I wanna make just to make sure that it's clear. So I'll walk through it, it'll be really clear, but you're gonna be tempted to jump in, let me just add that. But uh, I have 10 lessons, but I don't think we're gonna get through them all. Uh, and if we get through five, that's great. If we get through them all, even, even better. But, but here we go. Leadership title, number one, is be a lint-picking leader. Now, uh, similar to TJ, on my first uh, weekend day on the job, I showed up at 7 o'clock a.m. And I was excited to be a pastor. This is the first time ever being a pastor. I show up at 7 a.m. And what's the first thing that the pastor has to do when they show up at 7 a.m.? I was told you walk up and down every row and you collect garbage and you straighten the chairs. And sure enough, there you were, you were already leading the way, going row by row, straightening chairs, collecting garbage. And so what we would do is we would walk around, we'd pick up leftover programs, people's personal items, we'd get uh, nail clippings, creamer packets, and lint. And often we'd compare notes all the way at the back of the room. And it was pretty nasty at times. And what I've come to believe, though, is that uh, throughout my years, I've learned that lint-picking is just a symbol of your leadership, (laughs) is that details have always mattered to you, especially on the weekends. So what the room looks like, what's on the screens, the timing of what's on the screens, how people are dressed, transitions, volume, and every word that is taught on a weekend they all matter to you. You are hyper-focused on weekend details, maybe even obsessed. So my first leadership point is that leaders obsess over the details. Why do you obsess about details so yeah, much? Yeah,
0: I,
2: I don't really know, except that when I walked into the room, this is at White Bear, right? Yeah. Uh, so we had chairs that moved, and I, they were plastic chairs, I think, were they? I can't remember, but uh, Dale, maybe you remember some of those chairs. But I'm telling you, they were always crooked. They were always out of whack. Yep. You know, some rows were wide, and then some rows, you know, if got, you know, a guy or person walks through there and bangs their feet on the... It's like, it, you know, it's it's hard enough to get to church, like was mentioned earlier, and yep. then to embarrass yourself by kicking the chair, or it's out of whack. Right. Um, and then just the garbage all over the floor. And, it, I mean, we've come a long way with our facilities, people. I mean, it's unbelievable. That's we right. Yeah, we just right. had... Yeah. We just had one or two people that were over that part-time people, and they just yeah. half the time I thought, "What the heck? Yeah. Can't you, you know? Why don't you see this?" Yeah. And you know, you walk into a business or a dealership at a car dealership, which I never do, but I have a couple of times, uh, yeah. and it's it's nice, it smells nice, it looks nice, and I, and I, it's just the thought, Don. Why don't our ch- why doesn't our church mm-hmm. have a welcoming Feel to it. Yeah. Um, it just didn't make any sense. I mean, we can do better than that. This yeah. is this is the church. Yeah. This is God's building, if That's you right. will. And so I just, even to this day, I mean, I, and I'm going to pick on Jason just a little bit uh, because you know, when I see crumbs on the in the even in the central. <laughs> I'll see a crumb or I'll see a piece of paper, and it's like I've walked I've walked past that like three days. And so have about 30 other people. Oops. Finally, I got to pick that up. So one day, I saw this trail of like powdered donut crumbs all the way, <laughs> all the way from the, you know, where we find treats, all the way, and it led right to Jason's office. I just yeah. I said, wasn't that, you remember that?
0: <laughs> he didn't want to be
2: seen with a donut, so Very he's secretive. running back to the, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, we had a conversation about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> okay, there's so much more I could say about that. But yes, all, right. the, all the way through the weekend services, obviously, what every, everything, like it probably drove you crazy when you saw the typo earlier today. Like, a little bit. Just drives you nuts. Oh. All those things matter so much. Mm. And I think part of it is that we don't want to be a distraction. Mm. I mean, because any of those things can take somebody's t- attention from where we yeah. want their attention to yeah. be, which is ultimately on God and his love for them.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, right. I don't know what else to say to that, but yeah.
1: yeah. All right, uh, leadership title number two, bring your leftovers to the airport. This is something I learned from you. Many years ago, there was our team. We all went to Atlanta to check out another church. And as is always, uh, we went to a Chinese, that's not the always the part, we went to a Chinese restaurant. And as is always, you walked away with a box in a bag full of your leftovers. And that's normal for you because whenever we're at a meal, you're always the person saying, you're going to finish that? Were you going to eat those fries? You're going to eat that pickle? And so you've always been that guy. So you always walk away with leftovers. That day you walked away with a bag full of leftovers. And when we got back to the hotel, we didn't stay in a swanky hotel where they have uh, refrigerators. And so you hung the bag on the external mirror of the van of which we rented. And then the next day we had a mid-afternoon flight. So we were going to the airport the next day, and this is back in a day of heightened security where you couldn't get toothpaste through security, but somehow you got your Chinese food through security. Not only that, but when you got on the other side, you sought out an employee to say, can you warm up my food for me? LAUGHTER And you were declined, but you persisted. And you asked multiple people before somebody found a a, a lounge, an airport employee lounge, warmed up your Chinese food, you dropped down in a lobby chair, while the rest of us spun off to Applebee's. (laughs) Here's the leadership point, is that leaders often say no to things that other people would say yes to. You You said no to Applebee's, but yes to leftovers. Furthermore, you say no to all sorts of things that others would say yes to. You regularly turn down opportunities to speak and travel that most would accept. Your relentless protection for the reputation of the church was so intentional that you were willing to forsake many of the conveniences that you could have enjoyed along the way. I firmly believe that. The leadership lesson for this one is that leaders say no to what others would almost always say yes to. I have two questions from this one is, why are you so frugal? I mean, why? What? What's behind that? I think I know, but, but where? Where you know, does I was, it come I from? I was
2: kind of raised that way, and the pastor's home. We didn't have a lot, uh, you know, and I just was. It just was part of who I am, and then it became sort of a, a game. Yeah, the deal, or how can I? You know, how can I? Yeah, yeah extend this, or how can I? Uh, get into the donut line and you know
1: ask the remember that I don't know if you Oh right. I was gonna tell that story too. Yeah, yes. go ahead.
2: I mean we were at a quality inn or something like that, and the buffet was like thirteen dollars. I, think it, was, breakfast. I, think, it, I huh? think it was
1: ten, but yeah, okay.
2: I thought ten bucks for you know, so
1: yeah, for seven of us.
2: I'm not gonna pay seventy dollars yeah,
1: for breakfast. So
2: by the way, part of that is it's really not our money. And I, I just There you go. I I'm very uh uh protective of you know, people who give to our church and it starts there. It starts in the little places. And you know, we need to be we need to be careful how we spend. You know, if, if we're flying on a flight, you know, you don't upgrade. Yep. Uh, you, you go to the back of the bus and you, you get the cheapest ticket you can. And that's just because we are responsible to steward the, the money that comes into our church through people who are sometimes really struggling and I just take that real seriously. Mm-hmm more so with, with my job than at home. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of a tangent. But no, I... that $10 buffet breakfast deal, yeah. so I can't remember what happened there. Well,
1: you went up to the person that was running this buffet and you said, do you mind if uh, I just grab a bagel off the end of the table? I mean, it's just at the end, nobody will really care. And then the person's like, oh, I guess so. And then you're like, well, how about the six people behind me? Can they, <laughs> can they do it too? And then the person was just, you know. I guess, and so we just grabbed our bagel, we sat in the corner of the lobby, not even in the restaurant, eating our bagel with a little cream cheese on it. That's all you needed. That's all you needed, it's like we paid our rate, we paid the motel room and... I know, we left our families, you know, spent our time there, it's it's fine, (laughs) a bagel, it's good. (laughs) Now, let me just transition this into something else because I really do think this is a unique part of your leadership is you've said no to so many things. Chances to speak, chances to travel, all sorts of things that I, people that are senior leaders like yeah. you take advantage of or, or uh, do they say yes to you've said no to so many of those why part of it's
2: just wiring i you know i uh i don't like i've said this before i actually don't like the stage i don't like the lights i'm 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 a little uh, nervous about people who just love the lights yeah. and love to be on stage and love to be i'm i'm nervous when i see that in a leader i'm there's just something there that's like, ooh. Uh, so I've never, so part of it is who I am, Don. I yeah. just have never liked the attention. Um, the other piece of it is I just knew, I, I just knew that what I had to do here was so all-consuming to me. Yeah. Uh, it just was. It, it, it always has been. And I, I knew if I, I did that other stuff that this would suffer. I knew that. Uh, I also knew that I wouldn't do well personally. I'd, I'd lose energy. I'd lose sleep. Um, i get anxious. Uh, it takes me a long time to put together a message. And so I just, I just said, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Uh, there's enough to do here. Yeah. Way to go. Thank you for that. And by focus. the way, yeah. Jason's the same way. Yeah. And uh, that's going to serve you well, Jason. I love that about you. I
1: really do. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for that kind of focus that you've displayed. Here's the next one. It's called Leave the Organ Where It Is. Oh, yeah. Uh, Now, when you first came on staff, you made it clear when people hired you that if they're not going to reach people for Christ, don't even hire me. And so the board hired you with kind of that condition. However it wasn't so clear that your staff or attenders were totally on board with that. So before long, you even mentioned this this past weekend, your staff essentially left, attenders weren't necessarily on board with you. And one of the things that you were left with, well, what you were left with was a White Bear Lake campus, uh, an organ, a choir, and an overhead projector. And you quickly knew that you're gonna have to change this kind of music experience that's here but you had this organ that was kind of a centerpiece at the White Bear Lake campus. And so you were trying to figure out how were you gonna make that change? And so as I understand it, eventually you had the music pastor lead a song away from the organ and the organ stayed. And then eventually the music pastor would lead all the songs away from the organ, but the organ stayed. Eventually the organist died. (laughs) And this is the tricky thing, the organ stayed. You even allowed the organ to stay for a period of time because you knew that people weren't ready for it. Now here's something that I think is really unique about your leadership. When you think about other mega church pastors, Andy Stanley, Craig Rochelle, Rick Warren, Steve Furtick, they all had the the privilege of starting their own church. But you took a church with an overhead projector, an organ and a choir of 300 and converted it into this culture of 23,000. That's unique compared to you compared to those others. So there have been many times where the whole room that I was in with you was saying, let's go, but you would frequently be the one to say, leave the organ where it is. There were definitely times where you said, we're not ready to make that change throughout the years. You have managed the spigot of change in a masterful way. This internal discernment about the rate of change has set Eagle Brook up to take the slow, steady, and significant path that it is on. The leadership lesson here is that leaders manage change with great caution. How did you have, how do you have that sense of discernment? How do you know? Because so many people around you would say, let's go. And you'd say, not yet.
2: Yeah, you got to know what hills to die on. And I knew that that wasn't the hill to die on. I knew that we could, we could actually fulfill our mission of reaching people for Christ. You could actually do music in a way. And that was there. It was an eyesore. By the way, it wasn't a little that, yeah. whatever that is, right. that keyboard. This thing was a monster. Well, I mean, it it probably weighed four tons. Oh, man. It was huge. And so Jan Thayer died, and I thought, well, <laughs> we're getting close uh, to this thing, getting off the stage. And uh, finally, I can't remember the day we moved it. Does anybody remember that or where it went? Did we have it down in the garage somewhere? I can't remember. But... Uh, you know, I, I also felt, Don, too, as the senior leader, and again, you guys understand this, uh, there's, only, there's only so much conflict that my heart can handle at yeah. once. There's only so much uh, anger and fights that I can handle. Mm-hmm. Seriously, that's a big part of it. It's just like, oh, I'm not taking that fight on right now. Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got this fight over here yeah. that I've got to take care of. And you just have to know, you have to know your gauges and how much your human heart can take yeah. and I knew that that was a battle that just had
1: to wait yeah okay we just keep going and do what we had to do yeah yeah I think it's such a significant part of your leadership I've tried to manage or tried to observe how you manage change because I, I think you have a, a discerning you know, yeah part of that is just a discerning
2: thing that the spirit gives by the way the spirit sometimes will give the leader that kind of discernment where the others don't get that from him right. Yeah. From God. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, the next title. This one's a little dangerous, so here we go. <laughs> Everyone needs a vasectomy. <laughs> <laughs> now, it isn't a big secret that you have had some difficult seasons where you weren't relationally hitting on all cylinders. And so, as we've talked about uh, you've been free to talk about how you went on a multi-day retreat where people gave you feedback, where Fred gave you feedback about what you were doing when you were at your best and what you were like when you were at your worst. And what you didn't tell about the story is, I remember when you returned from that multi-day retreat, you came into the, uh, the leadership team meeting, and we asked, how'd that go? And you sat back in your seat and you said, have you ever gotten a vasectomy? <laughs> and you said it's pretty much what it was like you're in a very compromising position a doctor is looking at everything that is most private to you and his and, nurse and then you start to that's have thats wrong by the way that's just wrong then you start to have an extremely delicate surgery that you really don't want to have but you need no you need to <laughs> now here's the leadership lesson is that most leaders refuse to get the feedback that they need they, they, don't get that. they don't get the full understanding of what other people think about their leadership. The vast majority of strong leaders know that they have a dark side to their leadership, but most leaders, here it is, they severely underestimate those dark spots. Sometimes you need a leadership vasectomy. Don't underestimate the need to get the candid, candid feedback as a leader that you all need. The leadership lesson is that every leader's, leaders need candid feedback. You've talked a little bit about this, but why is this so important? And why should all these leaders have that kind of sense?
2: Touched on it this last weekend, um, that all of us are dysfunctional. All of us have some dysfunction in our personhood because of sin. Every single one of us. uh, You said that most leaders are aware they have a dark side. I would say that many leaders are not aware. Yeah they may have a sense that, oh, yeah, you know, I've got a few things. And if you're married, your spouse might mention those things, but you never take that seriously. Your kids might, you know, head for the corners on occasion uh, to try to avoid you. But that's just life. Uh, I I truly wasn't fully aware. I mean, there were signals all along the way. Um, uh, You know, my wife would We'd get into fights and we'd we'd have our our moments and there'd be a lot of silence in the in the home for a day or two after that uh, I'd see staff you know uh, kind of start to avoid me a little bit yeah. uh, i just so there is some awareness, but I don't think until you're confronted with it, I think sometimes you just have to be confronted yeah. and again, I'll go back to the church board and just thank thank the board uh. Penny, I don't know if you were around at that time, if you were on the board or not, but um, you know, it was Dean Hager, and he he'd been through a similar situation in his own life, and he he could see it. He could see me, like I said, the church was doing this, but I was I was struggling, Uh, just just struggling badly because of the pace, all the demands. I didn't know how to manage it. Um, Took on too much, and you know, the worst part of who I am was coming out. Sharp language, anger, uh, no time for people, ran people over. And Dean knew uh, that, that we could lose this whole deal if, if I didn't get well. And so I, I agreed, you know, I agreed to go see a counselor or Fred, primarily because my job was on the line. Yeah. I was forced you know, I didn't go willingly. Yeah, it was only when I knew that, uh-oh, I'm gonna get fired, mm-hmm. that I, I said, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes, uh, you know, to to try to get this reconciled. So, yeah. but like you said, Dale, I mean, everybody needs a needs a leadership vasectomy. We don't really we don't really know that we do really to that degree, right? Um. But in hindsight, if you ever have a chance to do that, it'll be a gift to you. It'll be a gift to you.
1: Yeah. And if somebody can't get that coaching or that kind of professional level, it's still a quest to figure out how how is your leadership being received by others? You know, getting that feedback from other trusted people who can actually give you almost ruthless feedback of who you really are and what it's like on the other side of you is a lesson for all leaders, right?
2: Yeah, it, it really is. And, it, you know, the second round that I went through, I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. You want me to go go again? Because you think you're done with that. And then the board says, hey, are you willing to go through another round with Fred? I'm like, what? And I said, yeah, I'll go. And then you learn other things that he didn't get at yeah. about your childhood and about your dad and all those kind of things. You begin to understand where some of this comes from, and that was extremely helpful. But I'll, you know, I'll wrestle with sin all my life, yeah. and you will too. Uh, it's just the way it is, being human. Yeah.
1: But that awareness is critical. Yeah, game changer in your leadership, for sure. Oh yeah, it's so critical. Yeah, wouldn't be here. All right, we'll maybe go a little quicker with this one. Read this, not that. Ah. Uh, back in 2006, I remember that. Date specifically because I was scratching and clawing to finish my seminary degree. And seminary was always hard for me because I was on the seven year plan. Seven years. Yes, thank you. And it was hard because I had a couple small kids at home. I was new at my job at Eagle Brook, and, and school just doesn't come easy to me. Like it's always a struggle for me to weed through academic stuff. And you invited me on a trip. I was sitting, we were sitting in an airport lobby, and I Uh, plunked open this massive textbook right on my lap, all about the topic of soteriology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. And you dropped in the seat right next to me, and you said, what you reading? And I said somewhat pridefully to the senior pastor of our church that I'm reading this book on soteriology, of course, the study of the Holy Spirit, so that I can learn more about who the Holy Spirit is and have this deeper relationship with him. And then your eyes got really wide You reached into your backpack and you said, you should read this, not that. It'd be much more meaningful. And you handed me Marley and me. (laughs) And here I was slaving away at the seminary thing and you hand me Marley and me. And then you just waltzed away to, you know, wander the concourse once again. And here's the leadership lesson from this, though, is that you've never been impressed by big seminary words or theological details that very few people in the world are chewing on. Uh, You are laser focused on relating to the average Joe. There's been many times that a group of us would get excited about a spiritual nuance or theological teaching when you would jump in and declare average Joe doesn't care about that. Average Joe cares about his marriage, his kids, and about how to make it through Monday. If it doesn't relate to average Joe, then let's forget it. And so the leadership lesson here is that leaders speak the language of average Joe. Why is speaking to average Joe such a value to you? That's
2: who all of us are. Mm-hmm. You know, the... yeah, yeah, so you're, you're in seminary. If you go to seminary, you know, we used to have this saying you got to beat the seminary out of them. Yes, right. I don't and know if others to... know that. No, but, yeah. you should, we should probably <laughs> say that too loudly here, but. Yeah. We used to say that that guy needs a little beating. In in the most loving kind of way. Loving, lovingly, yes. <laughs> and you just got to beat those words out of us. So, teriology, i thought it was the study of sin. Actually, yeah. I, I'd forgotten it was on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. But who cares? That's the point. That's exactly it. No one cares about that. Yeah. Right. You know, they—they they care about everything else that's going on at home. They and uh, and so it, it's. But to be fair, it's easier to speak to the average Joe because I'm a pretty average Joe too. Yeah, And I live an average Joe life. But I think that's most people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we went around the room and gave you the mic and just said, be honest quick, what's, what's, got, what's concerning to you today?
1: It wouldn't be soteriology yeah. or whatever that is. Yeah, I think this is again a unique part of your leadership that doesn't happen in most churches I often explain that something that separates Eaglebrook from other churches is that we're radically normal (laughs) You know, we use normal words normal phrases and actually don't even Use those other words and that's so that we can reach average Joe And so I just love that that's been such a value of yours. All right, let me hit two more Uh, This one, there's 50,000 people within a golf shot of this church and we're gonna reach them. Dale already quoted that. And I would say if there's one quote that's carried throughout your career, it's this one. I believe if I understand it, you said it early, either at a membership meeting or something where it got written in the, 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 the minutes of the leadership meeting. And it's something that you declared one day. And it's a quote that's been said probably hundreds of times. It's a bit of a mantra of our church. This is a way of thinking for you It's a leadership mindset that has driven you to think of any way possible to reach lost people for Christ. At the very heart of your leadership is a deep love for people and a strongly held conviction that our world is a dark place. You believe down to your toes that time is short and we must do everything in our power to reach others. You carry a burden for broken marriages, disengaged parents, and wayward children. Your life and career have been devoted to helping, guiding, and bringing these people the greatest Message on the planet. This epitomizes you, Bob. And the leadership lesson is that leaders will do whatever it takes to reach the lost for Christ. Just tell us a little bit. Why is why are you so passionate I
2: about don't know. this? I just I just that's who I am. That's what God put in my heart. Mm. There's there's certain things I can't put words to, Don. I just uh the closer I the older I get, the closer I get to my own sinfulness and my own need for. For salvation and forgiveness and grace, and how desperately I need that yeah. and then I you know you hear about all these stories of people who come through such a mess in their life, and their only hope is christ their only that 's where it starts, and that 's where it, you know that their only hope is if you find Jesus Christ, who then can begin to heal the wounds in your life and and give you forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. So part of it just comes from my own life experience and knowing how much I need, I need God. Yeah. You know, part of, this, part of this quote, though, and you probably don't even know this, but, and forgive me if any of you were on the mission committee or board back then. We had a mission committee, I think, way back when, 300 people, and we had this little commission committee. And it drove me crazy. They'd say, Bob, well, you need to talk more about missions, and we're bringing so-and-so from Africa. They're on furlough or whatever that word means. You know, they're going to be here for a while, and we want to get them on stage, and that'll help, help us do missions better. And I'm like, the guy's going to kill us with his talk about missions, and it's going to be terrible, and no one's going to be excited about missions. And they'll say, Bob, you need to talk more about missions. And then I'd say, what about the guy at your neighbor next door? That's right. Have you, have you ever thought about reaching him mm-hmm. or her? Right. I mean, do we care one whit about the person down the street? Mm-hmm. Have we reached students at the U of M? I, I think it's just so easy to, to give money to missionaries, send them across Africa, and call that missions. Yeah. Now, I love, I love missions, and we've got some Brazilians here, so don't take offense. <laughs> we love going to Brazil, love it, all that. And loving having you here. But really, the mission, I mean, America is lost. We are one of the most lost nations becoming so on the planet. And that's mission, man. Hmm. we got mission all over here. And if we can't reach these 50,000 within the Gulf, we have no business sending
1: people across seas. Yeah. Yeah. When we do it, we will. But I'm just, it starts here. Yep. The mission field is next door. I mean, it really is. It's in our neighborhood. It it's is. It's all around us. It's in the stands at the hockey games. Yep. It's all around us. So let's, let's reach those people.
2: Yeah. And then I, then I said to the mission committee, I said, if we do that, yeah. we'll be able to do world missions like you've never seen before. That's right. It's true. And so in one weekend last November, we raised a million dollars and sent a lot of that overseas, a lot of it here and supporting people all around the world in ways that we never dreamed of. And that's where that came from.
1: Yeah. Let's do that first. I love it. It's awesome. Here's one last one for you, Bob. It all starts <laughs> on the orange carpet. This is a story you don't know for sure. Many years ago, there was a small group of us pastors that would start the weekend huddled up in a tiny room off the upper White Bear Lake lobby for a time of connection and prayer. This room is now more appropriately used as a closet. Now, back, this was just when we were all at White Bear, but back in that day, it was a tiny room with orange shag carpet, outdated chairs, no artwork to be spoken of, and it was just this kind of dingy little room that we would meet in to start our weekends. On a memorable Easter morning, we had our normal time of connection and prayer. After our prayer time was over, we all got up to leave and you said, I'm gonna stay back. And so I left the room, I walked down the stairs, and at the bottom of the stairs was a frantic producer, And they were saying, where's Bob? We need him for a sound check. I said, I know right where he is. I'll go get him. I walked back up the stairs. I opened the door quietly. And there you were, all alone, on your knees. Your back was to the door. And you were petitioning to the heavens for God's help. I quietly and quickly closed the door. I don't know if you ever knew this happened. I went back down the stairs and I said, he'll be here in in a few minutes. That visual has always stuck with me. Our leader starting your day on your knees alone, petitioning the heavens to speak through you as you would lead and teach our church. The power of your leadership comes from heaven above. It's not yours. You and I have had a common verse recently. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loves me and gave himself up for me. And I think we've both shared that. It's not our life. We have surrendered it to God fully. You have role modeled that in your humility, which we could have said through every lesson that I just talked about. Great leaders start on their knees. How has your connection with God sustained you throughout your time as a leader here?
2: I don't remember that dawn that day, but um, yeah, that's where it is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, every time I, before I come out to speak on this stage, I'm on my knees in the back. I just drop down off the couch back in the green room, and um, I cry out to God, ask Him to fill me, ask Him to use me. Almost every single time, I'll say, "Jesus, in my weakness." Make me strong. You know, show yourself through me. Speak to the people. Speak to every human need who is out there. Speak through me, God. It's not about me. And I need you. And, uh, you know, it's... When when you understand what's at stake, Don, I guess, and you do, you you get it. And so do all of you. Man, we... (laughs) It can't be done just with, you know, intellect or a great message or uh, creativity. Right. I mean, all that's important. But, man, if Jesus doesn't show up, it's over. Mm-hmm. And I know that. And so that's where it starts. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's just I guess the burden is so great at
1: times. That's, that's where you got to go, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, I yeah. love that about you, Bob. Your humility, again, has been so evident in so many ways. I'm so grateful for you and your humility, as well as your leadership. I put these together in a little leadership book for oh. you. <laughs> That's my gift to you. I, I do have a letter toward the back of that, and here's awesome. just a portion of that. It is one of the best goodbye gifts I felt I could give you was to let you know how much your life and leadership has changed mine. I'm a better person, father, husband, and leader because of what I've learned over the past 15 years. I'll be forever grateful and forever changed. Thank you doesn't say enough to let you know how grateful I am to be led and influenced by you and your leadership. Thanks for role modeling, the lint-picking, leftover-eating, carpet-dwelling leadership that you have. May God bless you in your next steps. I love you, Bob.
0: Man, that was so good. So, so good to to hear that back and just um, the ways that God used both of you in that time to teach our staff incredible lessons. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. But because of time, you'll probably notice, or maybe if you're counting along at, at home with us or wherever you're listening from, right. uh, we didn't get through all 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to get to those in just a second. But Don, something happened to us after... <laughs> the leadership lessons were taught. Someone pointed something out. Why don't you comment on that really quickly? It actually ties perfectly to your point, but it was unintentional. Go ahead.
1: It's so fun. I mean, here you are sharing, there's over 300 people, staff in the room. The board has come for that, even some special guests. We present this whole thing. And then you come off the stage essentially, and you're kind of wondering, how did that go? And one of the first comments I got was, well, you just taught that whole thing about soteriology But you know, you have the wrong definition, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, no. And then he said, well, soteriology is a study of salvation. Pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. And as soon as he said it, I was like, yeah, I know that. (laughs) And for some reason, it was just locked in my brain and... If I can throw you on the hook too, you read it. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, <laughs> me,
0: I, I went to you know seminary, but I was on the seven year plan yes, too. So clearly, right. we were not oh, so top seminary students. No, no, school's not God necessarily uses the ordinary. That's to right. Accomplish we celebrate that
1: here. But you know what's funny is the guy that pointed it out said it actually emphasizes your point. Yes, that that word isn't critical to the mission that we are yeah, a part of. And yeah. speaking the language of average Joe, I think is so critical for pastors, especially who tend to overlook that and think that that final spiritual nuance or that theological phrase that they've been wordsmithing all week long is really what everybody's interested in. And there are some people interested in it. Like I would say a small percentage of people really are fascinated. They want to have the Greek, the Hebrew, some other context that's just, they've never heard before. And I think even teachers feel compelled to go find that golden nugget and then hand it to those people. But along the way, Average Joe is bailing out. And I think some pastors might overlook Average Joe because they're looking for that spiritual nuance. And Bob is the master of saying, if Average Joe doesn't care about it, don't do it. We're going to speak to Average Joe over and over again. And he's deflated a room numerous times where people get excited about a certain topic. And he says, no, nope, no, nope, that's not what Average Joe wants to hear. Let's let's talk to him.
0: Yeah. And notice even our senior pastor didn't correct you. Yes, Just that's, again, emphasize the point, but <laughs> <That's> <laughs> all right, true. moving on. I had okay. several people when we were done, Don, I, I, I think I told you this, but... Um, I had several people texting me that they wanted to know the final three. In fact, they want all 10 leadership lessons, and we hope to provide those for you on our podcast notes. But um, Don, why don't you take us there? So we got through seven. Give us the final three.
1: Okay. Well, here's the next leadership lesson. It's titled, We're the Last of the Mohicans. And here's the story that goes with this one. One day, Bob and I were standing at the the coffee machine up on – our floor there at our, our office complex, and we were talking about a couple that he was going to meet with. And he was telling me about this couple was living together, had no faith, parents never led the way, and that they don't have a clue about how to lead a godly marriage. And so he was going to meet with them to encourage them, but he kind of, standing there, I can still remember this coffee in hand, got going on a bit of a rant, which Bob can do on occasion, And he was just going after how broken our world is, how parents aren't leading the way, and how media sure isn't helping this by any stretch. And then he got a little more animated and he says, who's going to change this dark and sorry world? Someone needs to stand for what is right and true. Government's not going to do it. School's not going to do it. Businesses aren't going to do it. And then he kind of paused and he says, who's going to make a difference in our cultural world that stands against uh, immorality, sexual promiscuity, and vanity? And then he looked at me and he says, you are. (laughs) He goes, you're going to change it. And I need to change that. You and I are the last of the Mohicans. We are the ones that need to stand for what is right. And it's true. And if you and I don't do it, it's lights out. And he was just like, you know, worked himself into a lather at this point, and then he finally said, "So that's why we got to go to work today. So let's get to work. We're the last of the Mohicans." And then he kind of shuffled off to his office <laughs> to go meet with that couple. And, I, I uh, hope that meeting went well. Yes, but, right. But that is true within Bob. So the leadership lesson that I have with that one is that leaders stand for what is right, even when it's costly. And I just think that we can't hold back. I mean, we need to bring truth and we need to stand for what is right because we know the world is a dark world, getting darker. And you and I both have kids, and we're watching the world that they're growing up in, and we're greatly concerned, but we're standing for what is right and true. And if we can continue to uh, bring that, the Word of God, and we can bring His truth and His principles, then I think that we can make a a little difference in the world we're living in.
0: Yeah, and no matter where you're at, uh, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you are a teacher, whether you work in the business world, um, you can... Take that stand wherever you are. Yeah. But I, I have such a heart for her, and it's widely publicized. You, I, I know you do too, Don. It's widely publicized how many people leave the church as leaders. Um, year after year, people are are leaving the church. They don't want to be a pastor anymore. They don't want to be a leader. If we could speak to you, maybe you are someone who's on the fence and you don't know if you can take a stand any longer. It's too costly. It is costly. Yeah. Um, man, if we can encourage you at all hold firm that's right stand firm hold your ground stay in the game yeah because if if you're not going to do it if i'm not going to do it who's who's going to do it that's right so
1: and i do think bob's right i mean the schools aren't going to do it businesses aren't going to do it you know politics isn't going to get it done and so the church really is where the hope lies. And that's why we're given our careers to yep, this whole thing. Exactly. This mission yep. is to help bring that light to a, to a dark place.
0: That's right. All right, take us to number nine.
1: Okay, number nine is called Make It Shorter, <laughs> uh, which maybe should have been appropriate number 10, or <laughs> I should have tried to work into our 30-minute window that we had at the all-staff meeting. But uh, during my nine years as a campus pastor at White Bear Lake, it was pretty common that Bob... Uh, Would come over on a weekend off and he would take in the four o'clock service because he lives closest to the White Bear Lake location. So he'd show up at four o'clock and uh, after every time he was there, he would be standing in the back of the room. And usually at that time we had programs and you could see his program and every white space in his program had writing on it. You know, he had taken notes all over this program. You've seen this before too in times that you've spoken. And so he's standing in the back of the room with all his notes and on his notes are how the whole service went and how my leadership was throughout that service. So I would walk to the back of the room and with a little bit of intimidation say, how'd it go? (laughs) And I would just have to take in his feedback. And by the way, Bob would never miss an opportunity to coach. And it's one of the ways that he cares, by the way, is by bringing that coaching. And these are the two things that Bob would usually say. Number one is he would actually say that that was really good. He would usually start with a compliment and he'd say something very specific about when you said this or when we had this transition or we had this moment, you know, I was locked in and he almost had a very specific compliment that he would give me. And then the second thing that he would say almost every time was make it shorter. (laughs) There's something you can do to make that shorter. And he would even say, this was common. He'd just say, I don't even know what to tell you to cut. Because it was all actually pretty good, but it's just too long, so you have to find something to cut. Now, uh, this is a mantra of Bob's: is to make it shorter. And we've seen it over and over again, and you've heard that comment. We've seen campus pastors give a ninety-second spot, and he'll say, "Make it sixty seconds." You know, we've seen it all throughout uh, Bob, and it applies throughout Bob's career, and it really applies to all sorts of different communication. You think about messages, campus pastor spots, prayers, emails you name it, is that Bob wants it to be prepared, and he wants it to be thought out, and he wants it to be brief. So there's no need to repeat or pound on a certain point. You've always been able to, He's always been able to teach and communicate in a concise way that never feels shallow or lacking. This is one of the attributes that Bob has mastered and really does make him a unique leader. If you think about it, uh, here's the leadership lesson. Leaders communicate with brevity and clarity. And I would say Bob has such a value for brevity that it's just kind of oozed through the whole system. And when people violate that around here, you can feel that tension, that that just went too long. So Bob's a guy that says, make it shorter. He values brevity and clarity.
0: Yeah. And uh, in the sake of learning from these leadership lessons, I think I should just refrain from commenting. I was going to say. Keep it short. That was great. Clear. You said it so well. So take us actually to number 10, the final leadership lesson. All
1: right. Last one uh, is uh, called Look for Gold. And for many years, I was... Uh, a part of Bob's weekly pattern where he'd show up in a conference room on one o'clock on Monday afternoon and with him was a stack of papers. And on that stack of papers was his message that he was starting to get after for the upcoming weekend. Bob's almost always been a week-to-week guy, which is always a little interesting to me, but he'd be really cranking out the majority of it all day Monday. He'd surface at one o'clock and in that room, there would be five to seven of us. He would read a little portion of it We would stop him or he would stop, and then we'd all add comments about, oh, that was so great, or what about this transition, or no, you should never say that, or here's a creative video or a passage that maybe would go with what you're saying. And so this is interesting, is that Bob has a PhD in communication, and I don't, and no one else in the room did, but if I said something, he'd write it down. If somebody else said something in the room, he'd write it down, which was always intimidating for me to think, what do I know about communication? But Bob, has always been willing to write down notes. He's a voracious note-taker learner, and he was always humble enough to take in all that feedback that he'd get every time. And a lot of times he'd be just, you know, cranking out the notes on his piece of paper, and then he'd throw down his pen, and he said, that's gold. And then he'd often follow it up with, did you come up with that all by yourself? (laughs) And which I I think was affirming, but you never really (laughs) knew. And you'd often hear that later on that weekend's message. And there would be other times where he'd be saying something to you, and he'd be saying to you, "I'm giving you gold here. I'm giving you gold." You've heard this comment a million oh, times. Oh yeah, this is a common. You better phrase. be writing this down. That's right. <laughs> and then if if he says that I'm giving you gold, you you better do something with it. But Bob has always valued valued the use of teamwork and humility, and he has never gotten too big to listen or learn from others. He's a regular note taker. And I think it actually works against the system if people come to a meeting and they're not taking notes. Honestly, that that lowers their stock. Everybody should be taking notes in every meeting they're in. And so when you have a team of people that can be ruthlessly honest uh, with you as a leader, and then you can implement that by being humble enough to listen, take notes, and put that into practice, you're going to get better as a leader. So the leadership lesson on that one is that leaders remain humble enough to take notes and learn from others. And man, Bob has just mastered, really. I I referenced it a little bit at the all staff meeting, but Bob's uh, humility is really the common thread through all 10 leadership lessons. If you think about it, Bob's never gotten too big for himself. He's been able to speak to the average Joe, he's been able to take input, he's been able to go through the leadership vasectomy. I mean, he's been able to get the kind of input so that he can become a better leader. And that's the kind of leader I want to be. And so. I've taken so much from those 10 leadership lessons and couldn't be more grateful that I've had a front row seat over 15 years to watching Bob and his leadership.
0: Yeah, that's so good, Don. And uh, just grateful for the way that you package that together um, for our staff, now for our podcast listeners. And really, you are, again, um, just clarifying, defining, articulating the lessons that you've learned for... Um, a man who's been in the game a really long time, and he did it about as well as anyone could possibly do. Yeah. And so we're grateful to Bob, to his leadership. Um, we're excited about the future of Eagle Brook Church. Mm-hmm. And again, by the time this is released and people are listening, we'll be in a new era that's at right. Eagle Brook Church. But Don, you're such a key part of that. I know for our staff and um, and now for the people who are listening, hopefully you've gleaned some lessons from this as well. Mm-hmm. But really, that's all we got. Yep for this episode of the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. And again, we will say this time and time again, but when leaders get better, the church gets better. And our hope is that no matter how or where you lead in the church, that you will continue to grow in your abilities so that ultimately your church, whatever church you're a part of, will reach more people for Christ. So thanks for joining us, Don. Thanks for articulating those so well. And we'll see you back for the next episode of the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast.